Welcome to That Bleeping Podcast, a podcast wherein four academics who love television recap, analyze, and love and hate on all things popular culture. Right now, we're working our way through Degrassi, the next generation, taking them two episodes at a time. Today, we are talking about 219, Fight for Your Right, and 220, How Soon Is Now. Before we start, two things. Spoilers alert, there Spoiler alert, there will be full spoilers as we recap each week's episodes. And sailor alert, we will swear, so do whatever you need to do with that information. Uh, I'm Tiffany Salter. I'm a professor uh, in the English department, um, and I cover Asian American and Pacific literature, and also teach things on pulp magazines and genre fiction and other nerdy things. I'm Jacinta. I'm an assistant professor of English. I study television, film, and pop culture, teach classes in those areas, as well as in writing and digital media. I'm Sonic Gabbard. I'm a professor in women's and gender studies and peace and conflict studies, and I study transnational and global sexualities and queer and feminine studies. And I'm Brendan. I'm an assistant professor of English. I teach a lot of composition. I also teach and research African-American literature and gender and sexuality studies. And as a note, you can always watch any of the episodes we're discussing on YouTube for free. Yay, CBC. (laughs) All right. So we're going to hop right into Fight for Your Right, episode 19, season two. Uh, This episode opens with Snake wearing fake bottle glasses, helping Emma prepare her presentation for Radich. Uh, She wants to ban GMO foods in the cafeteria. As Manny says in this episode, quote, Emma is the Joan of Arc of Degrassi. Uh, The episode progresses first with Emma working in coalition with Ashley and two others to convince Radich to make the switch uh, from GMO to organic food. He turns them down, citing both, quote, inconclusive research, end quote, as well as budget constraints. Uh, Later, she then launches a one-woman educational campaign to let the student body know about the poisons uh, the cafeteria lady is giving them. When Emma confronts JT and Toby in the cafeteria, she grabs up po- Toby's poutine and catapults it onto Jimmy's new tracksuit. A food fight ensues, and Emma is the only one punished for the food fight. Radich suspends her, uh, and later that day she resists. Uh, she defiantly goes into Snake's class, uh, demanding that she's allowed to stay. He tells her to go home. Instead of going home, she posts up outside school, calls the press, a.k.a. Ellie, and and protests the the suppression of her free speech. Radish comes out and gives her an ultimatum. Either she apologizes uh, on the morning announcements the next day, or she gets suspended for a week. At home, Emma and Snake have a heart-to-heart where she recognizes the double bind he's in. He tells her he'll support her regardless of what she decides to do. The next day, she does go on the morning announcements, but she does not apologize. The other equally important plot line uh, in this episode revolves around Spinner and Jimmy and their class conflict. Jimmy shows up to school with new threads, an iPod, and sneakers, and Spinner is noticeably jealous. The two come to blows later that day when Jimmy and Marco make fun of Spinner's sweatshirt on the basketball court, noting that it's very old and raggedy. Spinner claps back at Jimmy saying, ooh, papa, please spoil me. Uh, Jimmy, pissed, storms off and leaves his brand new iPod. Spinner grabs it and later tries to hawk it to a random kid. When Jimmy apologizes, he catches Spinner's shady deal in the making and again storms off. The next day, Jimmy goes to the cafeteria and Spinner is there working behind the counter. Spinner tries to apologize, gives Jimmy his iPod back and lets him know it'll never happen again. Jimmy says it won't because they are no longer friends. So this was one of those episodes, I think in the last episode, 
I was, I mentioned that like Degrassi adults talk to children like they are also adults. And like, I liked, so it's interesting to think like 18, 17 years on, right? This GMO food debate, right? Is still happening. What did you just say? <laughs> Non-genomata skit. Non-genomata skit. <laughs> you need to watch more commercials. Um, I, I believe There's a Triscuit commercial. I'm not saying about you're making this up. <laughs> That's is on all the time. <laughs> anyway. I'll send I, it to you later. I mean, so I guess, okay, there were two <laughs> things I was going to say. One was I like that the episode, even then, doesn't land on a yes or a no. But, and I think that we can see that big picture, Emma going after Sheila, which she only sort of does, is wrong because Sheila is just making do the best she can with the food she has. But... Sheila, Radich, and Snake all treat Emma like she's just another adult. <laughs> like, yep. she, like Sheila goes after Emma, Radich goes after Emma, Emma isn't even on school property and she's protesting and Radich goes after her. And I was just like, this is like, Emma is annoying, but she's, I mean, what's interesting is she's the growth person in this episode. Because at the end when she, gets on the announcements, she apologizes for making a mess in Sheila's cafeteria. She says, like, she doesn't quite say, like, maybe GMOs aren't bad, but she's like, I'm sorry I made a mess, but I'm not sorry I spoke my mind. Yep. And all the adults are just, I don't know. Well, I like Snake, but even Snake, I'm like, that's a lot to put on a 13-year-old to, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, they treat her like a, an adult, except that like Radish is very clear about like using his power to make happen what or to try to make happen what he wants to make happen. And that he is um, escalating her afternoon suspension to a potential week long suspension because she's protesting off of school grounds now just across the street sure but like she's still not on school grounds and that is what prompts him to like then escalate her or her suspension to a week is that's like bonkers like uh inappropriate right and this is also just a very poor adult move to pull with a teenager like you he he could have just let her stay protesting and it probably would have petered out but because he had to like assert his power it ended up becoming an even bigger thing and the last thing again i say as someone who used to teach middle school the last thing that you should do is get in an argument with a 13 year old it is a bad life choice it ends poorly all the time I agree. I will say, though, I mean, I went to a very, very conservative middle school, a public school, but still a middle school in central Indiana, rural Indiana. And those types of things were very common. I mean, I feel like in a way it's weirdly on brand for shitty asshole middle school principals. Maybe not Radich because we thought he was a little bit more hashtag woke white guy. Um, but I don't know, it kind of, that sort of authoritarian um, hand, I think feels very realistic to me. But the going across the street doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it just doesn't, I think, I don't know that, I, I, I mean, so Ellie makes the point twice in this episode about like affordability of food for, the kids at the school who need cheaper food and how organic food would be more expensive. And it's much more about their peers, whereas Radish makes the point just about budgets, right? Uh, in the presentation. And Ellie just is much more adult in her engagement with Emma. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, he could just be an authoritarian principal. It is a sort of confusing move because he hasn't been this principal before. And because the episode is so on her side that, 
And also, like, I don't know. It just, I was like, happy through the episode, I was like, well, this is shitty to Sheila. But then Sheila also treats Emma like they're just peers. And I was like, no, wait, this is like, you can say, hey, I'm doing the best I can. You're a teenager. You don't get that. But Sheila's an adult. <laughs> it just, it was so hard for me to deal with the adults. And yeah. I do think, like, I mean, there is something to be said for Snake making or leaving this up to Emma to decide what to do, right? Like, because he so, could have just been like, you are going to apologize. And so that's two things. Spike bad on that. Around but to he, sort of, like, like be does the respect her for, autonomy um, in this decision. For Emma in the sort of principal's office, if you will. Um, and Snake, because of it, like, his fraught position as both like her guardian in the situation and also the teacher. I, I mean, like the one moment where I was, I thought that Emma like really fell down on it was when she went to snake's class and like mm-hmm. was going to like, like he is in an impossible, like literal impossible situation in this because like he cannot like show her preferential treatment and break the rules for her in that space because it's the class that like, I mean, like that's the class that she's supposed to be in, in that time slot. Um, But Emma reads it as, you know, protest, but she doesn't understand that like, she is also like snake cannot be her stepdad in this moment. Like he has to be the teacher. Right. Uh, And this is where I think that it's important that spike is out of town because, like, if she had been able to just call Spike to come to class, they could have had that conversation with Radich and and maybe, like, worked out some kind of alternate pu- punishment or, you know, talked through it in some way. Right. I did leave out the fact that Spike is at, or, yeah, Spike is at a hair convention. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, my dream. My dream. Uh, well, what about the other storyline? I mean, I think on our last, it's interesting because we have a, another story about class in the last batch of ep- last episode. We talked about class as it's focalized through um, Sean. Sean and Tracker. Here we have Spinner, and there's this sort of narrative that, like, he's always at Jimmy's house. And in that fight that you mentioned in the recap, it becomes like, it shifts from he's always around to he's a freeloader. Well, so two things. I don't understand it. I mean, like, I guess the since they're not together anymore, like Jimmy is not always at Ashley's. But the, in this conversation, it sounds like, like for a very long time, Spinner has always been at Jimmy's. But if Jimmy was also always at Ashley's, like the thing, the 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 thing that has gotten dropped out of this episode and the Sean episode, which like Sean, like his, his class was triangulated, not just against Emma's like relative, like, like her family's relative comfort, um, but also Jimmy's house and Jimmy's wealth or Jimmy's parents' wealth. Um, And so like this comes up again um, without, we haven't talked in a while or seen the show hasn't dealt with in a while. The fact that like, Jimmy doesn't really have like a whole lot of um, supervision or contact with his family. Like they're always working. And so like, I thought that with that sort of background knowledge that isn't sort of reestablished in this episode, like all of the gifts from his father, like read in a much different way to me. And in a, like in a way that he's not comfortable sort of articulating as a rebuttal against these sort of, um, attacks you know seems like a strong word but like the the comments from spinner about like always getting what he wants and getting all of these expensive gifts like part of those expensive gifts are trying to make up for the fact that like his parents are absent which is convenient for the show because then it means that a potential black family is just absent (laughs) right i mean in the I mean, it, it's interesting, and I know we had that, I don't know if it was in season one, the episode, that's really about the absence of family for Jimmy. Um, 
Because, yeah, I had the same feeling, Tiffany. When he shows up with the clothes at the beginning of this episode, I was like, oh, this is going to be an episode, again, about Jimmy feeling like he's ha- his family is buying his love through goods, but they're absent. And then it transmuted into an episode about Spinner's relative poverty in relationship to Jimmy through the goods. And I thought it was a- interesting, but, yeah, there was a note missing there. Well, and also it's not just Spinner's poverty. I mean, most of the characters, we're, we're supposed to think of them as so, so, having some proximity to middle class. It's more about Spinner's parents not buying him things and him wanting fancy things. Like he wants nice things like Jimmy has. And instead of, and, and he is resentful of Jimmy for not having to work for it. And he's resentful that he has to work for it. But I, I don't think that in terms of sort of what the show has, at least what the show has told us, Spinner is not middle class. Right. And we have like both Marco and Spinner sort of talking about mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy's things, right? Marco admires his clothes and things as well. But we don't see Marco sort of longing to have the same sort of wealth in the way that Spinner is right. Marco's. We don't really know a lot about Marco's family at this point, but we know he's not from a wealthy family. Um, but Marco still manages to do his stylish Marco things with whatever he has. Whereas, like part of the commentary that ends up upsetting Spinner in this episode is that he's been wearing the same hoodie since grade seven, um, which he does not uh, appreciate, and that's part of what starts their argument. Yeah, and we we also see Kendra, who lives in the same household as him, who like also seems to be like dressed in a manner that is consistent with her peers, as does Spinner. Um, you know, the sort of like markers of um, middle class are all there, um, and she definitely, at least to this point, has not expressed any like anxiety or concern about like her relative status and those sort of like status symbols in the way that Spinner has. I think I like that you call it an iPod because they never actually, they never actually call it an iPod, right? They just keep, it's very clear like that how the newness of the MP3 player that's $500, which is like preposterous, like is, and I know it's Canadian money, but Right. And there's that amazing conversation where Spinner is back to listening to cassettes because Miss Kwan broke his disc man. Just as a side note, I just love when technology shows up because when the episode starts, the status symbols are all about this, the new shoes and <laughs> the sort of sportswear. But then the iPod becomes the like ultimate symbol because that's the thing that Spinner accidentally on purpose takes from Jimmy. Also, also though, like Jimmy should be more responsible with his goods, right? Are you just leaving this iPod (laughs) on a bench in the park? Boy, if you don't go on somewhere. I mean, I would never have it because my parents would be like, that's hilarious. You're 14. I would never. <laughs> Listen, I, whenever I got a thing, it was like attached to me permanently. Yeah, cursory research tells me <laughs> that the second generation iPod, which was announced in July 2002, did price out at $3.99 or $4.99. There you go. That was not the one I bought in college my junior or senior year. I bought one of the minis, which was much cheaper. The end of this episode is interesting because there is an actual, it's one of like Degrassi, one of the Degrassi classic ways that Degrassi ends is with like a lack of closure or like sad closure. And this is very much a sad closure ending for Jimmy and Spinner because they're kind of like broken. Yeah. yeah, it's a real breakup and it's really, it's melancholy for sure. I mean, also I, at the end, I felt very conflicted as to whose side I was on because I mean, obviously you want to be on Jenny, Jimmy's side for, you know, being wronged. His friend stole something from him and lied and then only confessed because he got caught. But also I, 
as someone whose parents, I mean, we were never allowed to have name brand anything because one, my parents are anti-consumerist in that way, but an anti-capitalist in that way, but two, also they couldn't afford it either. So I, I understand that longing for wanting something that you can't have um, on Spinner's account. And I am glad that he did apologize. So I guess I guess I fall on Jimmy's side, but I also feel conflicted because I feel for Spinner. It's hard being a middle schooler um, and it's especially hard to be a middle schooler and try to take responsibility for your actions. I still have the Jordans that I bought in middle school with my own money, which were $150. Damn. Do you wear them? Um, I haven't really worn them a lot since like college, but I definitely wore them up till then. Nice. Yeah, I didn't think, I didn't know if we were too supposed to take a side because I thought that for much of the episode, we are very much with Spinner and then the stealing complicates that. Right. And then the fact that Jimmy apologizes in the same moment that he discovers the thing. I mean, I think Degrassi sometimes does do these like no one wins, everyone loses endings. And this felt like one of those, especially because, and I thought framing it that it's in the cafeteria while Spinner is working and he literally puts it on the tray. Like, so he's serving it up to like, just the framing of it really heightens the complication of it because I feel for Spinner, but I also feel for Jimmy that there's just a lying here, right? Like there's just a level of like lying that is outsized to the sort of back and forth they've been having about him being a freeloader, which is awful but it's hard because this friendship is also often so play acrimonious, right? This is the thing about male friendships that are often very mean to each other, but like on that line. Mm-hmm. Well, and also he was like literally going to sell it to someone else so he could buy something else. Like this is, this is like a lot of levels of like um, being bad to your. It friend. was. I was. I was surprised. I mean, it was more intense than I thought it was going to be. I thought that it was just going to be attention about this. I, I, I was a little shocked that Spinner did that. Just within the sort of moral compass of the show, uh, as opposed to like having someone else take it right, like. There's a way the show does these things sometimes where a non-character is given the really bad thing. And in this case, it's not a non-character, so it makes it more complicated. It's not like some character we've never met steals it, and then it's a problem, but then that character can go away. Mm -hmm. Like the racists in the racism episode who are not anyone we've ever met. I also just, I did did want to know in this episode that I appreciate Sean being supportive of Emma again in her in her campaign because you know the the very small squad of Emma, Ashley, Nadia, and some other random person um campaigning for this um while most of their school doesn't really understand does not work out too well. But Sean, you know mentions that he you know appreciates like learning from her and encourages her to continue on yeah and he says i don't usually care about this stuff but don't let raddit shut you up i mean like so there's i mean there's an openness and willingness to learn from emma and an explicit support and a sort of like anti-establishment way here yeah, I like to I like to imagine that one of the cut scenes was Sean in the computer lab looking up or searching in net. What was it? The Explorer Internet Gear or whatever. Internet Explorer. Netscape. Uh, yeah, searching in Netscape is pickled herring GMO. <laughs> <laughs> Call back. <laughs> okay, so this is. The next episode is episode 220, How Soon Is Now? And um, for our listeners, a content um, and trigger warning, uh, we will be talking about um, uh, 
sexual assault um, and um, the trauma, uh, working through the trauma uh, uh, after sexual assault. Um, okay, so in this episode, we meet a new adult, Miss Sobe, who is a counselor, and I think that she's the counselor at Degrassi. We meet her in the context of Paige, who at the beginning of the episode believes that she has moved past her assault by Dean. And in their session, um, which is, this is all before the, the theme song, Paige says she no longer needs to receive counseling and doesn't want to schedule a, a follow-up session. So after the theme song, we find out soon that the regional basketball championships are going to take place at Degrassi and that Dean's team is going to be um, in the final with uh, or against Degrassi. So he'll be coming to their school. So this prompts Paige, who is upset um, by this news, to return to Misobe. And among the things that they talk about, ask how she might go about pressing charges if that is something that she wants to do. So it's clear that like this is a sort of information gathering um, moment. And Misobe, I won't go into a lot of details, but she explains the logistics um, and also talks about the fact that um, there's little physical evidence um, in in the terms of like photographs um, and um, other physical evidence um, because, uh, yeah. Um, so Paige gets frustrated with the legal system um, as it's explained to her. Um, and and kind of gives up on that line for the moment. But once Dean is at Degrassi, um, he engages Paige several times in an arrogant and really taunting manner. Um, and Paige several times tries to remove herself from her duties um, at the Spirit Squad. Uh, but JT, who has building rapport with Paige, um, uh, as we had seen in, in previous episodes, but also in this episode, encourages her to come back a couple of different times, thinking that Paige is just upset because she and Dean like broke up or something and not, you know, something innocuous. And JT says, he's just some stupid guy. Um, and then Paige's response is he raped me and no one in the world seems to be able to do anything about it. So JT goes to the gym and attacks Dean in the middle of the game. And they're both, both removed from the gym and Spinner, who earlier had been very focused on himself uh, and how that situation um, affected him uh, and how he was hurt, um, sees this and understands that what Hazel had told him earlier was correct and that Dean had assaulted Paige. So Spinner then attacks Dean at the bus um, after he had been removed from the game. And then after he tells Paige, we're not all like Dean, some of us are good guys. Um, so, and we can talk obviously a lot about that. So the B plot, which is like totally like it's, it is just there to be the B plot. Um, but Ellie and Marco, it is, it is their story. They're paired together for an assignment and have to film a commercial for a product that they created, you know, they imagined. And through the process, they discuss uh, how hard their um, pretense is on both of them, their pretend relationship. Uh, but by the end, Marco definitively, de definitively says he is gay and that they are only ever going to be friends. Okay, so there's a lot of detail that I left out for time's sake, but I'm sure we'll cover. There's a lot of emotional gut punches in this yeah, for sure. episode. In both in both of the stories, there are moments where I was like, "Oh, my heart." Yeah, and and I, oh, I yeah. didn't mean to imply that like we aren't supposed to care about the Ellie and Marco story, but like it is it is given far less time. It is given very little time compared to um, the A plot. The whole episode made me anxious, and I think that's intentional. I think. I mean, there is a level of soap operatic nature yeah. to the contrivance of bringing Dean physically back. Um, but I think that there's a delicacy with which that is then treated once he's there in terms of the sort of PTSD, the flashes of seeing him, the way that Paige sees him, the way that different people respond to versions of it like versions of what they think happened between her and dean um 
I thought it was really interesting that JT in some ways there's a way in which JT and Spinner become contrasted as the two male characters that Paige has conversations with over the course of this episode. And JT, I mean, we've talked about is like this creeper, but not a creeper. And in this episode, at the very beginning, it's a little bit of the like, I'm gonna creep on this older girl. But I felt like for much of the episode, it was really more about like Tiffany said this rapport. And he seems more on board, like with what Paige says than Spin. I don't know. There's a way in which Spinner doesn't come out looking as good, but the episode seems to want us to think he comes out looking good. Whereas JT doesn't get it, but when he gets it, he just gets it. And I don't love that his response is to go beat up the guy, but it's also a very like human, believable boy or girl, like being like, I just want to lash out. So I thought it was interesting that it was JT and Spinner that were contrasted because they're often our characters who just don't get shit. Yeah, JT has no doubt, right? Like, he sees what she's saying. Where Spinner, at this point, has had a couple different times where it, things have either been hinted at or he's seen her emotionally upset in relation to Dean and he still is, like, on this um, sort of well, they had a thing and she dumped me for him sort of front up until JT attacks Dean and calls him a rapist, right? It took literally that for Spinner to sort of come around and understand. Right. And I and I think also, I, I think the biggest contrast between JT and Spinner, I think just since you mentioning his Spinner's relationship with Paige and Brendan as well is important, but also JT looks up to Paige like he mm -hmm. constantly calls her their fearless leader like she is a she is both a person that he desires but also a person that he very much respects and admires um which is rare for JT to respect to to demonstrate respect for a female character on the show I mean the only other time we saw that was with Miss Hasselakis um but one of the things with his respect too is I think that that is I don't know. They almost there was a very there was a sibling vibe between yeah. mm -hmm. Paige and JT, especially after this episode. That again, given Spinner and Paige's history, can never exist. Like Spinner can't look at Paige as an equal. Yeah, yeah. No, I it, it was. I was waiting for JT to become worse, and as the episode went on, he became better. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think Paige and JT are two characters that do a lot of front facing performance mm -hmm. and then have these moments where they drop like a complete performance and there's only certain people that get to see it. And part of that sibling connection is that they kind of game, game sees game plus the sort of thing where JT respects her. So when they both drop the pretense together, I think it's really interesting. And the acting between the two of them is really interesting. The sort of running thing throughout this where he's doing the mime work mm -hmm. and she's engaging in the mime work as opposed to just writing it off or pretending she's better than it. But then at a certain point, it no longer works. Um, he also just looks so sad when she tells him. I was yeah. like, oh, your little face. Yeah. Oh, I know. no. <laughs> I also wonder if that, too, is, like, one of the first time JT encounters this type of sexual mm -hmm. violence. I mean, I think we're also, again, because Spinner's really invested in in parsing out uh, and delineating, delineating the murkiness of date rape and, and not trying to understand it, right? Mm -hmm. He's the one that's constantly defending, well, you know, she went up there. But I really think this was also JT's first real confrontation with a, a sort of loss of innocence, too. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting that a couple episodes ago is the one where JT and Toby are sort of like, what are condoms and what is the right time? And so there's a way in which, I mean, the show really does like this grade eight, grade nine division. And this happens here but it is about the fact that JT is coming into a sort of sexual knowledge that is more than just the gross 
Hugh Hefner version that he sort of is bought into. Um, and then, of course, the third guy in this that we've contrasted is Dean, right? And Dean returns to the episode, and Dean is, <laughs> and I think he's worse. worse. He's worse. And also, <laughs> I mean, I think we said this when we discussed the Shout episode, where he's also cast to be bigger, more adult looking. Right, Degrassi's pretty good about casting people who look their age. Dean is conceivably, I mean, he's a little bit older. He also just is bigger, older, and in this episode, he's much more arrogant, uh, much more dismissive than, and I think Spinner benefits from that contrast. Obviously, Spinner's not a rapist. I'm not saying they're the same, but Spinner's self-involved arrogance doesn't look as bad when contrasted with like Dean, who is just evil in this episode uh, and just as evil to everybody except Manny. And that's the other thing we right. didn't talk about, right? Is, yeah. 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 Like he's, is a, it, he's a real predator. Yeah. So there's a scene in this episode for those who haven't watched it where, uh, so the team has shown up at the school. There's an initial confrontation between Dean and Paige and Hazel, and she sort of tells it off, but it, it, he really sort of, you're left feeling like he has the weight of what happened. And then later leading into the game, we see Manny at her locker talking to Dean, clearly flirting with him, and then Dean walks away, and Paige tries to go and uh, really advise, uh, Manny and you know says like he's bad news. Someone told me he was bad news, and I didn't believe him. I want you to know that. And Manny sort of interprets this as like jealousy. He is jealousy, and so I think it's interesting to think about Manny also, right? Because Paige's role is this role model, right? Like, and Manny's role on the Spirit Squad, and yeah, I mean the complicated logistics of all of this. And I think the show is obviously trying to also point to the way in which there's like a solidarity thing here yeah. and to protection for yeah. your, for yourself and for others. Because at that point, Paige is about to leave. She yeah. is going to yeah. leave because she can't stand being around him. But then they see him talking to Manny and that is what makes her stay. Mm-hmm. Right. He- yeah, so I have a question here, and I think, like, I I posed the question in the recap of, like, is Miss Sobe, like, part of the school, or is, is she a different counselor? Yes, yeah, she's okay. the guidance counselor. So then, like, part of Paige's first return to Miss Sobe, like, after she says that she's not going to continue is about like this question about pressing charges, but like she also, doesn't she mention that Dean's team is coming to the school, right? And so like, I guess that I just, huh? I didn't know that, wait, Paige tells Miss Sobe? Yeah, when? Because Miss Sobe doesn't tell her. Huh? Sorry, never mind, never mind. Like I, that's why I was asking, like, I think that Paige mentions that, like, she's going to see him again when she goes back to ask. And so I guess I just wondered about, like, if she is explicitly tied to the school, like, isn't there some kind of, and I know that, like, if she had done this, we wouldn't have had this episode, but, like, some sort of intervention that she can do or advocacy that she can do on behalf of Paige of, like, excusing her from, like, that situation like from participating in that in some way because it's a school event yeah but I think Paige not being able to or Paige could have not participated like I think that would have been fine but I don't think like that that is what they really want us to focus on like because she does right yeah, she says I mean, she says, she tells Hazel she's not going to participate too, right? So I think she's already thinks she's not going to. And then both, and then JT has the conversation where he talk, 
talks about giving the world famous attitude and then she sees Manny. So, I mean, I thought that scene was more in there so that we, they could have a conversation about the unfortunately complicated nature of, uh, you know, reporting a rape and the way that it might not give her the sense of closure she's looking for, right? right? Because the legal system is unfortunately mm-hmm. not going to work. And so I think that that is where that scene wants us to land. Yeah, um, yeah and, I, and I understand that. I just, like, there just, there seemed to be something about, like, because she is tied to the school about, like, protecting, like, the students of the school from, you know, predators coming onto the school campus. Are you, are you talking, are you talking about, like, being a mandated reporter? Yeah, and, and, or, I, I thought, I guess I thought there was a vagueness about how she told Miss Sobe she would see her, him again. I'm not sure, I don't remember her, maybe I don't remember the, this part of the episode. I don't, I think it was vaguer than, like, he's coming here, I thought it was just like, I'm going to see him again. That was my, that's my memory of that scene. But also, we know that this isn't, like, um, uh, like, a secret uh, from like her parents, yeah. like you would go to counseling and tell a counselor something, and they may be required to report it. But her parents are already involved, and it's the current decision is not to press charges until she decides to press charges. So there wouldn't, I don't think, be any additional reporting that she would be required to do. I think Tiffany's question is about the fact that if the counselor knows that a person who raped a student is now coming to the school for a game. Is there a sort of protection that they can do more broadly? So I think, I don't think there's anything like logistically she could have done though, because I think if she would have gone to Mr. Radich and been like, Hey, there's a rapist on this basketball team coming to our school. He would have been like, there's nothing we can do to prevent him to come from coming to our school. Right. Unless unless there's a legal, some legal case going on currently. It's funny, we have the same thing going on in CPS. There's a whole scandal about this. Yeah, I mean, I think that there, yeah, it has to be, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think that that result, I mean, I think one of the things you're pointing to sort of sideways to that, Tiffany, is also the interesting way that the counselor is sort of separate from the rest of the school, even though she's in the school. Um, And it gives Paige this sort of other space that I think is really interesting. Um, I mean, I, yeah, it's just such an anxiety provoking episode um, for me. And yeah. I mean, I I do want to quickly say that Lauren Collins, the actress that plays Paige, does a phenomenal job in this episode. I think it's one of her strongest um, acting uh, episodes that she's, done thus far i mean she really is great uh it might also be worth mentioning that when this aired on the end the end actually shows all three episodes together shout part one and two and how soon is now which is sort of like continuity wise a little bit weird but they actually they when they aired it, they put all three episodes hmm. together. Interesting. Can we talk about Spinner a little bit more and his response, particularly at the end? Oh, oh, oh. I hated it so much. I hated it so much. I was so. Uh. I mean, it hashtag not all men, um, but like also, I like. Yeah, I mean, the way that it sort of resolves where Paige asks Spinner to the year in dance and says, I owe you a date anyway. And Spinner says, yeah, you do. (laughs) I mean, what a horrible way to bring Spage back or Paige back. Don't ever. (laughs) Paige. Oh, no. And it's not just. Well, I mean, like, so, like. Obviously, this developed Spinner's character in a particular way, but like, I, I, I felt like a lot of the episode was sort of undermined by this particular ending, 
especially the language of I owe you a date. And, and of course the hashtag, you know, not all men, the, the, the exact quote is we are all not all like Dean. Some of us are good guys. And I just like, I, I just felt like it was such a great performance as I said by Lauren Collins. And there was so much that was like, I really like the development, but in the relationship between JT and Paige and I, I just, I thought that all around it was such a, I mean, anxiety provoking, uh, but solid episode that got completely eviscerated the, the sort of like all of the positive act, uh, like attributes of the episode got eviscerated by these two things that happened at the end here. And he's waiting for her with a lunch, right? I think that... It was a very large sandwich, yeah. by the way. It's just, it was so, and I think, so a scene before that, when Dean is getting on the bus, uh, Paige says to Dean, I'm coming after you for real. And yep. it's sort of the her pressing charges, right? And so she goes to the counselor and says, you know, I want to scare him. And so she sort of, I think my understanding or my read of that was she understands that this might not end the way she wants it to, but even just passing charges would be enough to potentially give Dean a sort of wake up call about like, there are consequences here. And so the way that coming after you for real sort of is contrasted with the two boys sort of sticking up for her. I liked that a lot. I think that especially what Spinner does I mean, JT's is sort of more like a sweet trying to process, but I liked that it was like, the real thing is what I do, what I want and not what these boys think they're doing on my behalf that I didn't ask them to do. And I loved all of that. And then, yeah, then this like gross, not all men lunch followed by a dance, dinner dance. It didn't, like, I didn't have, like, a huge reaction to it. I was just like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I really just don't care. Like, I am not looking for a spinner page moment right now. I am not interested in that. In this I want to, if we we're going to do this, I would rather see Paige and JT. No. And no, I would. If not, not, not in a not all men way, but in a, like, if we're going to have a final moment with her and someone. Oh, I because okay. I don't not this conversation because okay. JT wouldn't be searching for this conversation. JT would not be coming at her with this weird. It just because it ends up then making the episode this way, right? right? The episode does such interesting work about the like fact that you know reporting might not give you the closure you want, but it might also make you feel empowered, and it's a complicated thing. And it's a decision you have to come to. And so I would rather see a weird, awkward JT not knowing what he's supposed to say, but this Spinner as our hero with lunch. I, I agree <laughs> about Spinner as a hero. The thing that I I was thinking though, as because we we see her basically telling Dean, I'm gonna come out as a rape victim slash survivor and and go public with this. I would, as that, the very next scene she's walking and we see Spinner and part of me, like the editing with that for me was also showing that because Paige will now be stigmatized as a rape survivor or victim, however she wants to identify, uh, because she's going public, we, in a way, the the show wants us to also recognize her, her humanity and her desires also. Like it kind of gives her a weird moment of sexual desire right after she comes out like says she's going to come out as a rape victim so to me i agree that spinner being the hero was gross but i was also like oh the show's letting Paige still have a life that's not just defined by her by her trauma i think if there was scaffolding from spinner at all i think that because spinner there's just none of that spinner and Paige haven't been a possible thing for so long yeah, I think that's what's so and for hard me. For it's me. also the pairing. It's the pairing with the I owe you the sort of transactional like underpinnings yeah. of of that because like 
like basically like Paige has been indebted to him since this whole situation happened in some way and that she's like quote unquote making good at this moment by asking him to the dance there like that like it was that after the sort of not all men moment that just was really like upsetting for me well and really we've had like for much of this season and the previous one Spinner having sort of pleading interest in both Terry and Paige, right? So it's not like he was just pining after Paige entirely, right? So it is sort of awkward when they just are suddenly going to go to the end of the year dance now. Although he did blow off Terry at Jimmy's party saying, where's Paige? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that just seemed like a cool kid, like where the cool people are thing, right? I didn't I just read it that way. I, I, I guess I think also because Spinner is so awful in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I just, I, I hear what you're saying. I like that reading, but I don't know that Spinner supports that reading. I, I, don't, I don't think that Spinner supports that reading, but also I think it's more that Spinner doesn't deserve that reading. Yeah. I, I But again, thinking about, from a page perspective, what would get her back to normalcy the quickest? Like her ex stupid boyfriend who is, who's innocuous. You but know? were they ever even together? I, I, where, yeah. like, oh, yeah. uh, not, not, no, really. they, 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 one, they, one. they were together. They, no, they weren't together. No. They may have, I mean, cause, yeah, if there was nothing established, I should say. Yeah. I mean, what, because, I mean, I again, like, this is why I would have loved a scene with JT where there's miming or Hazel where they're talking, right? Like, there are other ways that Paige can feel normalcy. The tr- I don't know. Just, I think it's just the lines about we're not all like, like that. It's just, yeah. it's just, it, it makes me do the like Kermit like flopping or <laughs> flapping around <laughs> this, right like it's just like why is this right happening right I, I mean i think i'm not and i'm not defending spinner and i'm not defending that scene yeah, yeah. i am saying that i do think i i do think there was partly a space to show Paige having desire again and having having and a life outside of this trauma. Because the other thing too is we haven't, other than the lifeline like joke with Terry, the past several episodes with Paige have been about her trauma. So also like for that to be at the end of the episode, partially is transitioning us into looking at Paige as just a regular person again and not not stigmatizing her as a trauma survivor. Um, can we also spend some time talking about Marco and Ellie because (laughs) it is a roller coaster of emotion. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Are we going to first at least get like recognize the elephant in the room, which is Marco's idea for a a unisex perfume, which is great or cologne, whatever you want to call it is great. But his idea for the commercial to be Bollywood themed is so wonderfully flamboyant. I just, I was like, you are a precious baby. (laughs) Would you call it flaming? Would you call it flaming? No, because I think that was pejorative. Oh, oh, but he did say it was going to be fabulous. And I was like, oh, honey, I love it. Fun and Fun fabulous, fabulous is what they said. And also, I want to say that Ellie's version of the the commercial is also incredibly gay. The like <laughs> Calvin Klein, like Marco in a black turtleneck, just staring off. Like I'm like, this is so. It's like Calvin Klein does funny face. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was just I. So I'm torn about this. So we talked about this with the first Marco Ellie episode or the second one, the one where they decide to perform straight coupledom. I still feel like the the show is landing on 
we really are focalizing through this straight girl and her feelings. And I respect that. And I think it's really interesting. Oh, we just, we just need a Marco episode that is about like Marco figuring things out. We don't have a narrative of like, of him sort of coming to this decision because the last time that we had this, the, the focus on Ellie and Marco was like, he's like, I'm figuring things out and like, it kind of like, you you know what I mean? Like there was still, there still seemed to be some kind of wiggle room and we don't know. We, we didn't get an episode that focused on Marco and his decision. I'm gay because like, that's where he lands at the end of this episode. I'm gay, like for sure. And I would have really liked to have seen that discovery, that journey. And Ellie has this line where they're talking about like whether she he can't be who she wants or he won't be who she wants. Right. Yeah. And that just felt to me like it got a lot of weight and there wasn't really a rebuttal to it built into the episode. It was just that later on Marco comes out to her. And I understand why Ellie would feel that way but it's also difficult for me to feel the weight of the episode emotionally just fall on her. I think the thing about the idea that she hijacks the episode, like hijacks the, the ad because she wants to be in control because she doesn't feel like she's in control in their relationship is really interesting. I mean, the other thing is these are both characters that don't have homes on the show. Right. So like right. there are a set of characters on the show that get families and like, a set of characters on the show that don't. And these are both the like fourth wheel in a friend group that are now in a story together. And so that makes it difficult, I think, for some of the depth to come through. Whereas like Ashley has a bedroom and parents and Emma has a family, you know, like, so I think that also means that they don't get as much of the, where are Ellie's boxing gloves? That's my question. <laughs> Ellie would never <laughs> box. She's, she's too uh, hip. What does he say? Totally hip? She's too totally hip for it. Cool and alternative. Cool and alternative. <laughs> I mean, I do think, like, like, obviously, Ellie is being really self-centered, but also there's an extent to which she should be self-centered in this situation because this is like mm-hmm. not a good situation for her yeah. to be in this fake relationship yeah. but also she is trying to help him but also she still likes him but also he doesn't like her and there's just there's a lot involved with that yeah well i mean she like she's also getting something out of this and it, like it's not like this is all sacrifice on her part but like there is that weird moment where she like she kisses him in a like when no one else is around and they both sort of pause over that moment like she, like she, they're both weirded out by it yeah she un- she non-consensually yeah, kisses him yeah too. absolutely like he- not even a, it's not an exchange whatsoever. Right. I think if Marco had more, I would feel, I, I agree, Jacinta, I think that the Ali's character is really interesting. Marco just doesn't get that depth, and Tiffany's right. Over the course of the episode, mm-hmm. something happens that makes him realize he's gay, and all we're given is this advertisement, which just, if that's all we're getting, this is a very poorly written character, and I don't, the Degrassi writers are better than that which means that something is not being shared with us, right? I mean, the show does this a lot where something isn't explained and then down the road, something is let out, right? That we didn't know because of the compression of narrative storytelling. Mm-hmm. Right. Here though, it's so extra, it's so not, it's so buried. Right. It could have been, they could have had a quick, as they're walking in the hallway, how was your group at the LGBTQ center? Yeah. Great. You know, all it would take is one line. Mm-hmm. Or he could even have gay right. friends, right? 
because that's put in the other episode. Oh, there's that. And a very standard way to do this on a show like this, right, would be to, I mean, this show loves to parachute in characters who just have narrative function. So give him a gay friend and then have that gay friend go away. Right, right, right. Where is Paige's brother? Just bring the gay brother. We know he exists. We're we're only occasionally mentioning him. Okay, or Ashley's dad. Uh, Ashley, where's Ashley's dad? He suddenly runs into Ashley's gay dad at the mall oh during a carnival. <laughs> well, so what are our favorite things from these episodes? Um, I'm gonna go with the food fight in Fight for Your Right which included very 90s music playing during the full food fight, like something that would have been on the soundtrack for like <laughs> 10 Things I Hate About You or something like that. Um, and also, I, I, part of why I love that is because there was a food fight at my school in high school, um, which was quite epic. So <laughs> it reminded me. Oh of my that. God. Can yeah. I go next? Okay, my thing, without a doubt, is Emma's poster board during the Radage presentation, uh, and when she asks him to try the GMO, <laughs> which he bites like an apple, uh, which some people do, but still. Uh, and then she says, "You could hardly taste the scorpion in it." Uh, it goes on to explain the scorpion DNA, but the picture on the poster board is a scorpion tomato hybrid. And it looks like the descendant of Audrey II from Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> it is by far my favorite thing, probably my favorite thing of the season, possibly. I In that same episode, I really like, I, so the food fight grossed me out so much. I did not like that. But I do like the way that everyone's throwing around around the word propaganda. That, rat, that Radich calls the thing she's handing out propaganda. And so then when uh, Sheila makes the weird morning announcement, which I also kind of love, the little ad with Sheila and JT, then Emma's like, oh, talk about propaganda. And I just love it because none of that is propaganda. Uh, well, I mean, so uh, in the Fight for Your Right episode, my favorite thing is actually Liberty's hair. And she's barely in this episode. But when, um, like, uh, when Emma goes in to make the apology and then does a bait and switch um, with it, uh, Liberty obviously does the morning announcements and like in the sort of like handoff between Liberty and Emma, you see just like a little bit of Liberty and she has a new hairstyle and it's like longer. Um, I can't tell mm -hmm. if it's like braids or dreads just cause like it's so fast. Um, but then, but it, then it's like fashioned into like a mohawk on the top of her head, like down the center of her head. And it is the most badass thing. It is beautiful. Like go back and it's right around, um, I, I marked it uh, minute 20, 31. Um, so right at the end, go check it. And also like Liberty has like whatever shirt she has on under her jean jacket has a rainbow collar that is popped above oh, yeah. the collar of the jacket. Like everything, I'm just living for everything that Liberty is giving me in this like four seconds that she has screen time. Speaking of clothing in the episode, can we also note that the back of Emma's shirt said one bad idea? Yes. <laughs> but but it, it was confusing because the front said GMO foods and it crossed out. So it's like GMO food, no to GMO foods, one bad idea. It's like, wait. <laughs> it's just a bad idea. <laughs> so in terms of predictions, or do we have more favorite? So... I was going to say, I know that the last two episodes of this season, season two, are a two-parter. Uh, from, I don't know anything that happens, but both Sonnet and Jacinta have made it seem like it's awful, which just makes me think <laughs> it's awful. It's not awful. It's a lot. We said it's a lot. Uh, sure. It's emotional. Uh, I was just going to say, sure, sure. Uh, so I don't know what that means. 
I, I mean, I presume, I mean, my long-term presumption is that as Tiffany said, Crashly is happening at some point. I also assume that we will either this season or next pick up this page storyline. Um, but I don't know beyond that. I mean, I, I still think Sean and Emma has to blow up somehow. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What about so you, Tiffany? I was um, thinking about, we haven't, like, we've seen this, like, Paige and JT relationship kind of happen as sort of, like, secondary moments uh, along larger storylines. So I was hoping, probably not in the finale, the two-part finale next episode, but um, sometime next season, maybe them becoming like more friendly, like not in a romantic way, but like literally more friendly. And so I'm interested to sort of like see how their relationship dynamic changes. And so we'll see, you know, if our predictions are correct in future episodes of that bleeping, uh, whoa, that bleeping podcast. Uh, I almost said that bleeping contest. I I don't know why. Um, but uh, we'll get there, you know, whatever we it takes. Those, yeah. so we'll do that on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it takes. I know I can make it. I know I can make it through. <laughs> <laughs> that was aggressive. That was yeah. a lot. Bye. 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 You can find us on Twitter at That Bleeping Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at That Bleeping Podcast. Listen and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Please rate and review us, share us on your social media, and help other fellow Degrassi nerds find our shenanigans. Shout out to Chris Robley for the use of his song Anonymous from his fifth solo album, The Great Mike Believer, as our theme music. Learn more about Chris and his music at Chris Robley, that's R-O-B-L-E-Y dot com. And follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Robley. As always, thanks for listening and listen for our next episode in two weeks.